In about the last 15 or 20 years, uh, my wife and I have just developed a passion for traveling and just love to see the world and love to see, um, like, I mean, God's creation. Everywhere we go, go to different countries and the, the, the landscape, the oceans, the rivers, I especially am inspired by, by just nature. And that's, that's the good side of what we see in this world, right? I, I probably a lot of you the same way, like, oh, and when I get around it, it just makes me want to worship God. Just to me, it just shouts the glory of God. But then there's the other part of the world that I see, which is the stuff that you all see, which is what is all over the news, right? It's the stuff that's like, oh, that's the ugly part of the world. That's the ugly part of life. That's the part that uh, just kind of makes me feel yucky inside. It's like, but, it, but it's right in front of us. So for the last several weeks, we've been talking about a different kind of world. We've been talking about the invisible world, the world that we can't see. And just as, as there's good and bad in the world that we can see, in the super, what we call the supernatural world, there's a lot of beautiful things, and that, of course, the beautiful things are God. The beautiful things are all his angelic forces. The Bible tells us that angels are very involved in our life, probably more than we could ever know. In fact, right now, if our eyes were open, it would really be mind-blowing for us to see the invisible world. But also, in the invisible world, just like in the natural world, is the, the bad stuff. And that's, the Bible talks, tells us that Satan is real and all his demonic forces, and that he uh, is, has one mission in mind for every human being. And that is to mess up our life. Uh, in John 10, 10, it says he comes to steal and kill and destroy. Peter says he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he's out there and he's trying to attack us. Now, having said that, um, God has given us some tools. Uh, and we're going to talk about, last week we got into talking about the tools and the weapons that we, we have to use. My, uh, my, my late, um, um, step, not stepfather, my, my late my, my grandfather-in-law, I had to spit it out there. Uh, his name was Bob. And Bob was a tool guy, really, really into tools. As a matter of fact, he had, he had a tool shed in the back of his house, kind of looked like Home Depot. I'm telling you, that guy had a tool for everything that you could think of. Uh, and for a short time in my life, when I was younger, I worked in the construction business that was my, my uh, brother-in-law's business. And so we would work together. And then I got to live at their home for a while with my wife, Karen. We were just early in our marriage. And it just seemed like whatever needed to be fixed, he'd go, hang on, and he'd run back to that tool shed. And I don't care what, if a toy needed to be fixed, a toilet, a car, a tractor, it didn't matter. He had the tool. So here's the good news for us on a spiritual level today. God has not left us defenseless against this roaring lion, right? He, he hasn't left us defenseless as Christ followers. We know we are under attack. You know, we're, we're in the scope of the enemy but he says, look, I've left you lots of tools so you don't have to get stressed out. You don't have to worry about it. But the thing that you have to do is you have to use those weapons, use those tools. So if you were with us last week, we talked about four of those tools, actually. Uh, we talked about the, uh, the, the belt. Remember, that was about truth, that our life has to be based in truth, not just in living my truth, but his truth, right? the truth of God, and that our life needs to be founded on truth. And then we talked about the fact of the breastplate of righteousness. So you know, Paul's describing a Roman soldier, and they would have this breastplate, and it would cover their heart. And we know that the Bible says that the heart is this wellspring of life, and that we need to guard our hearts. And see, if the enemy can come in and mess us up, and he will come at our heart and try to take all of our hope away, just like mess up our life. So we have the, the breastplate of righteousness. And then we talked about the, um, the feet that are, ready, that are fitted for the readiness of the gospel, and, and the Roman soldiers would wear these special shoes, and they had spikes in them. And the idea was to hold their ground, not to retreat, but to actually be able to advance when they needed to advance. And, of course, the Bible talks about the fact that we bring the greatest news in the world. It's the gospel. It's the good news. 
Uh, and then the last thing was the shield of faith. And of course, the shield of faith, you've seen uh, those big shields in movies and things like that that the Roman soldiers would have. And they would hold those up, and especially they would fend off the fiery darts. It would, literally, they were on fire, and they would hold them up together, and they would fend that off. And of course, the devil comes at us with lies, with temptations, uh, with deception, everything that he can. And, and, and God puts a very high premium on this thing called faith. Faith, faith, have strong faith, and it'll fend off the enemy. So today, uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you for the very last time, because we're going to finally finish our study in the book of Ephesians. We've been, I think, about six months in it. Some of you are celebrating, and some of you are like, oh, I was, you know, I hope you got something good out of it. But um, let's look at verses um, 17 through 20. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, now who's me? Paul, of course, who wrote this letter and he wrote it to the church of Ephesus. He says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, my words may be given, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So let's, let's talk about, uh, for instance, the, the helmet of salvation. How many of you notice there's all kinds of helmet laws these days? Not that there shouldn't be, but, but I mean, it just seems like every time you turn around, there's a new kind of helmet law of some kind. And of course, if you ride a motorcycle, that makes sense, and a lot of you are cyclists and you wear them. And, and if you're a snowboarder like my my. Uh, oldest son, Steve, does flips and stuff, and he's busted his head up a few times, so it's a good thing he had the helmet on. Um, but, but we were, we were for all, all kinds of, of occasions. Why? To protect that beautiful, beautiful brain of yours. Now, what kind of a spiritual attack comes against the brain? Oh, that's where he messes with us the most. If he can get inside of that brain of ours, and I know that he tries, and he tries to always hit us at our point of vulnerability. That's why he says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, when I say salvation, probably for a lot of you, you think, salvation. That's that time that I made a commitment to Jesus. That's, I prayed the prayer, I, however you did it. That doesn't necessarily define salvation. Salvation is an everyday experience since that time. Okay, so when, every single day you get up, you continue to walk in the process of salvation. In 1974, in June of 1974, I did that, and I invited Christ into my life. And then, ever since that day, I have been walking in this process of salvation. So it wasn't like a one-time deal, like, yep, signed the dotted line, said the prayer, good to go. No. Salvation is every single day of my life since that time. It, 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 it's, a, it's a journey. That's why you got to wear that helmet. And part of that process is this thing called grace, that we have grace in our life. Now, what is grace? Well, we spent actually the first three chapters of this book where Paul was trying to help us to understand what God has given to us. And one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us is this gift called grace. What does grace mean? It means that God gave us what we didn't deserve, and it was a gift. And I think that's one of the things that people struggle with the most. That's why... In, in chapter 1, he said, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace 
And the last part that he's just, he's lavish, lavished it on. In other words, he's going, I've given you everything. And so for the first three chapters of Ephesians, he goes, look at you're a child of God. You've been redeemed of God. I've given you grace. He talks about all the rights that we have, uh, on and on and on. And it's, it's almost overkill. At some point, you're like, Paul, we, we get it. But you know what? We actually don't. A lot of times we don't. Because we think we've got it, and then we get attacked in that brain of ours. And if we're not like carrying that salvation experience and we're not on our guard, it's like, why, why is it we all of a sudden get insecure? Why do we feel shamed? Like, ah, oh, I just feel so terrible about myself. That's what that helmet of salvation is all about. And it's a, really, it's about grace. Because grace makes it safe for you and I right now to sit in these seats and not be judgmental of each other. It makes it safe for you and I to go come in here and accept each other and say, you know what, we're all on equal footing, equal ground, level ground. And, and, and there's nobody that gets to like, like be all that and think, well, I'm better than you. Nobody gets to do that. Not in the kingdom of God. Nobody gets to do that. Because we're all saved by grace. And that makes it fun. That makes it safe. Have you ever been to a church where it's one of those churches where you feel like, well, okay, before I walk in, I got to act like I got it all together? And even if you had a bad week, you're like, okay, you put on the smile and try to act. That's, that's a horrible feeling. That is not a church of grace. Grace is a beautiful thing, and it makes it safe for all of us. It also means that we got we to gotta show up every day, every single day, wearing that salvation experience and move on to the next day. I, I was reading about this just yesterday. Um, how many of you have been to the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco? Isn't that like an awesome bridge? That's like so beautiful, and I've crossed it many times in my life, and I've viewed it and, and actually had picnics from uh, one of the parks over there where you could see it. But that, that bridge was actually finished in 1933. They began to build it in 1929. And, and when they began to, to build the bridge, they, immediately they had some problems because it's 220 feet high above the water. And uh, they began to lose workers. Um, there's a lot of wind in that area, and then it would blow the workers off as they were working on it. And it was really slowing it down because you can imagine, if you're one of those workers, you, you're, you're, like, you're kind of shaky, right? You're like, oh, man, you know, I hope the wind doesn't blow me off because you're pretty much going to die if you fall that far. And so finally what they did is they put a safety net. The guy who was, who was uh, over the whole project put a safety net all the way across that long bridge. And immediately what happened is everybody now felt secure, and the work just went really fast. And in, in 1933, so a matter of four years, they finished that entire bridge. Why? Because no longer were those, those workers living in fear. Now they were like, well, there's a, there's a safety net here, man. Uh, in fact, they said towards the end of the project, some of them were diving into the safety net just for fun. And, and the, the idea in terms of grace is grace makes it safe. And that's part of that. You put that helmet of salvation on, and when the enemy comes and he attacks you and he goes, you're less than, you can say, no, actually, I'm more than. When he comes to you and says, you're, 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 you know, you're a rotten person, or you shouldn't have said that, or you just remind him that I'm saved, that I've experienced salvation, that I'm a child of God. I've been redeemed. And grace runs through my life. And that's, that's a powerful weapon to have. Because he's always going to mess with our head. Always. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons that I have this tattoo right here, this is the original Greek. I thought I'd put it in the original. And um, it's actually Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know why I had this put here? To remind myself, because I grew up in a shaming kind of church. I don't know if anybody grew up in one of those kind of churches. But man, I just, I always felt ashamed. I always felt guilty. I always felt like I was less than in the eyes of God. And one day I was reading this scripture and I, I just said, man, everything came 
to life in my life when I saw that. I could hardly get this huge bicep in this, t- this shirt this morning, but that's... <laughs> Got to show up every day. The second, the, second, the second thing, weapon, that he gave us is this sword. It's so this is the sword right here. The, the word of God, okay? You think, well, okay, the enemy's going to come and attack you, and uh, you've got to know how to use this, this sword. This, he says, take, take the word of the Spirit. Take the sword, sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Most of you know that the Bible in the original language was written in Greek and also in, in Aramaic. So in the Greek, that word, word, right there, it comes in two different forms. One of them is, is logos, and the other one is rhema. And this particular one actually is, is rhema. So let me tell you what logos is, and this is, let me tell you how Jesus actually used this. So if you go to, to Matthew chapter 4, one day Jesus is preparing for his ministry. And right before he starts his ministry, he goes out into the desert, into a place of wilderness. And for 40 days, he doesn't eat. And he just prays, and he just tries to get focused on what's going to happen in his life. And at the end of 40 days, Satan himself, not some demon, some, you know, some random demon or whatever, Satan himself says, this, is, this would be a good time to, to really attack Jesus because he's vulnerable. And you need to know that. That's always when he's going to hit us, when we're in a vulnerable state. So Jesus is, is tired. You know, he's been sleeping out in the wilderness. He's very hungry because he hasn't eaten for 40 days. And so Satan does his deal, and he starts attacking, and he does it through temptation. What does Jesus do? If you read the account, every time that Satan tries to attack him, and by the way, when he attacks you, he's always going to hit you below the belt. Well, where's the first place he starts? Well, the guy's starving to death, right? Jesus, so I'm going to go right there. That's the first place he starts. And every time that Jesus counterattacks, he says, it is written, the logos. He uses the, the written word of God. And see, this is one of the reasons that you need to know the word of God, that you need to read the Bible, so that when you are spiritually attacked, you have some ammunition, and, and you can use that as a tool three times in a row. Now, the other word, the one that's used here is, is the ramos. That actually means not just that, because this, this is the written word of God. You can read the words there, but, but the... The rhema word of God is actually the living word of God. Well, what does that mean? That means that actually when I'm reading, suddenly it comes alive in my heart. It comes alive to me. One of the things that I've discovered uh, through the years as I've read scripture is it, it, it speaks to me differently through different times and decades of my, of my life. For instance, in my 20s, I will, I will read one scripture and maybe even a story, and I'll go, oh, it kind of speaks to me in a certain way. I'm like, yeah. And then a decade later, in my 30s or whatever, or next in my 40s, I'm having kids, I'm going through different seasons of my life. The same thing, all of a sudden, it's speaking to me in a different way. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's what God, God wants to get His Word, His living Word inside of you, speaking to you to give you the strength and the help that you need. Somebody put it this way. God's Word is like a can of paint. The value is in the application. There are millions of people in America that have Bibles just like this one that are sitting somewhere all dusty, haven't been read, haven't been used. And it's, a, it's, it's, not a, it's no use to it. It's not a tool. It's not a, not a weapon if it's just sitting where, somewhere and, and it's not, not being read. So I want to show you in a practical way some things that will help you to get the word in you and to want to read it and how to read it, okay? So um, this should be in your outline, by the way, and, and if not, you can just take a picture of it or something, because there's some great verses here. So the first thing, when you're reading the, when you're reading the Bible, whether it's in, whenever you do it, and I hope you do it, 
And there's all kinds of plans. By the way, there's a thing called version. A lot of you like to do everything online. They have all kinds of Bible plans, and so you can read Scripture every day. You can do a one-year plan or whatever you want to do. But anyway, first thing is just think about it. Like, don't just read it and go, huh, okay, and you walk away from it. You totally forgot what you read. Let, just meditate on it. Let it ruminate a little bit inside of you. Like, what did I just read? What, is, what does that mean to me personally? How does that affect the way that I'm living right now? How does that speak to me? And then after you, you've, you've done that, turn your heart to it. And the psalmist talks about this a lot. He says, man, I took your word. I actually hid it in my heart because I don't, I don't want to sin against you, God. I, like, I want to I live right. I want to be in harmony with you and with your ways. And that's what that's all about. Turn, t- take it, internalize it into your heart. And then, and then he says, talk about it. In Deuteronomy, Moses speaking here says, in, in chapter 6, verse 7, he says, you know what you should do? He goes, I want you to talk about it all the time. I want you to talk about it with your children. I want you to talk about it when you're doing life, when you're walking on the roads, when you're eating together. Talk about it. That's why we have life groups. If you go to any one of our life groups, uh, this is going to be center stage right here. We're going to be talking about some truth that comes from the Word of God. And, and the more that you talk about it, the more that you discover that there's principles and there's things inside of it that will help you and whatever you're going through, like, well, we're raising children or I'm going through some financial thing or I'm trying to figure out some ethical issue or something like that, this speaks to it right here. Talk about it. And then teach it. So for all of you teachers for a moment, you say, well, wait a second, I'm not a teacher. Let me ask you a question. Some of you may have grown up in the church. You may have read the Bible a lot. You are qualified to teach. Now, it's not a big old gnarly thing. It just means that at some point in time, maybe as a life group leader, hello, maybe you're out there, as a life group leader, and we will, we'll train you, you can actually teach some people. And this is, I'm just going to say it this way, this is one of the greatest privileges you will ever have because you will enlighten somebody's life. You can literally change a person's life by teaching the Word of God. I consider it to be one of the greatest privileges of my life to open up people to the truth of God's Word. And then finally, uh, test it with your life. I do want to read this scripture to you. It's very, very powerful. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, uh, it's interesting that he actually uses the terminology of the sword here. He said, For the word of God is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, why, why is this so important? Well, I'll tell you why. Because before I go out and I start teaching you or telling you how it ought to be, I need to internalize it and let it mess with me. And nothing messes with me more than the Bible. If I, if I really, really take it serious and I just... I look at it, and I meditate on it, and I think about it. It's going to get inside of me. And then I'm not going to get all judgy. I'm not going to go, well, you, and no. I'm going to go, well, it, it's, it's messing with me. That's why we are never, ever to take this and to, and to sort of slice and dice some other fellow believer up, which I've seen Christians do, and I'm like, really? Are you serious? Like, spiritual blood all over the place. Like, what are you doing? This is, this is not for us to use against each other. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus fended off Satan himself with this. This is always to bless people, to help people, to encourage people, to teach them the ways of truth and, and, and how to live. Test it with your life. And then prayer. This is one of the greatest tools, powerful tools that we have in our life. Isn't it interesting that a lot of times 
prayer is our last option instead of our first option. Have you ever done, I'm just keeping it real here. I don't, there's been times in my life when I'm facing an issue or something like that, and I will literally exhaust my resources trying to figure it out. And then finally, there comes that moment, you're like, oh, I guess we'll just have to pray about it. <laughs> really? Why didn't I start with prayer? Why didn't I save myself all of that grief? So here's what I want you to know, that there's nothing that you can't pray about. There's nothing that's off limits when it, when it comes to prayer. You, you can pray about everything. He says, and pray on the Spirit, in the Spirit on all occasions. So what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? I think for one, of the, uh, one of the meanings of that would be pray with your heart. Pray with passion. Pray like you mean it. Have you ever, have you ever heard somebody pray and you're like, ah, there wasn't much going on there. Like they were just saying words, you know. Jesus, actually, Jesus, in his time, he called out the religious leaders for this. He goes, you guys are just saying words, but there's nothing behind it. So to pray in the Spirit means to really pray from your heart, right from down there. He says, pray in the Spirit on, on and he, did he say a few occasions? Oh, once in a while. No, he said all the time, on, on all occasions, pray. Pray about all of life's issues, what are all of life's issues? It's all of life's issues, right? Anything, everything. Well, you know, there's this financial thing going on, but that's not really part of my spiritual life. Well, it ought to be. God wants to help you. Well, there's this physical thing going on, and I'm kind of struggling with it. Have you ever thought about inviting God into that? Have you, are there certain areas of your life that maybe so far you have not involved God in? And I don't say this in a, in a, in a kind of a scolding way. I say it in an encouraging way. Get God involved. Whatever, whatever, whether it's a relationship that's kind of gone south or whatever it is, get God involved in that area of your life and then see what he'll, he'll do. And then you pray really with all kinds of prayers and requests. I find myself praying all the time. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, pray without ceasing. Whoa, Steve, give me a break. Can't pray that much. Well, I think what he was really referring to is having an attitude sort of this being in a posture, an attitude of prayer. And, and I, I do, I find myself praying all the time. I'm driving down the freeway. I don't, for some reason, I pray a lot when I'm driving. And by the way, when I'm driving, you need to be praying because I drive real fast. Anyway, um, I find a lot of times when I'm in the shower, uh, for whatever, I don't know why it just hits me, I start praying when I'm in the shower, you know, and, and uh, especially if I'm out surfing, you know, I'm just like giving glory to God. And I just, all these different times in, in, in my life, uh, and things that I do on a daily basis, I just find myself praying, and it's beautiful. But he says, he just he says, pray, and, uh, and also, he says, he mentions the word request, all kinds of prayers and requests. So what is it that you have not asked God for that you should ask God for? What is it, maybe, maybe right now in this moment, it's like, oh yeah, I should have thought about asking God to get involved with that, whatever, whatever that is. And then, he goes on, and he says, when it comes to prayer, don't let your guard down. Now, what would, it, what would it look like to put your guard down in terms of prayer? Simple. It means you're not praying. When you're not praying, you're letting your guard down. And when you let your guard down, you are a sitting duck for the enemy. He's going to come in and go, oh, okay, three days without prayer. Perfect. They're vulnerable. I'm going to come in right now and do my deal, Right? So Jesus, don't, don't let your guard down. With this in mind, he's, and it's just about being alert. Be alert, you know. Turn to this person next to you and go, be alert. Be alert. Okay, that's, that's the deal right there. Be alert. You, some, somebody just woke somebody up right now, right? Be, be alert. Be alert all the time. 
And then he says, persist in prayer. Just keep on praying and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, you and I ought to be praying for everybody. We, we pray all the time for people that don't know God. Man, that should just be right there. God. But also, we need to pray for each other, especially. And, and Paul kind of makes a special point of this. Actually, the New Testament does, that we're a family. And we need to support each other. Why? Because, friends, we're under attack. We shouldn't be freaked out by that or afraid of that. We need to be aware of that, though. And we need to support each other. How do we do that? No better way than praying, that we pray for each other all the time. Whenever anybody says to me, hey, hey, Pastor Steve, I want you to know I was praying for you, that's like the greatest gift you could give me. It really is. And there have been times in my life when I've really gone through some struggles and it's just, you know, life comes at you that way. And somebody will say that and I'll realize, they'll, they'll, like, they'll say last week or whatever, I was praying for you and I'll realize that last week I was really going through a struggle and I felt something. It's like I felt strength when I didn't know I had it. And that's the power of prayer. That's why we ought to all be praying for each other all the time. He goes on and he says, not only that, but he goes, let's pray for courage. Uh, Courage. And so he says in verses 19 through 20, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me. You ever felt like you didn't have words? Anybody been there before? Like you want to share the gospel, like I'm going to say something and all of a sudden you get kind of stuck. He says, so the words will be given to me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, the good news, for which I'm an ambassador in chains. So he's, he's obviously he's in, in prison once again. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I haven't met very many people that have the, the gift of evangelism. It is a gift. And the gift of evangelism is actually one of the gifts that's listed in the Bible in the New Testament is that the kind of person, you're the kind of person that could walk up to anybody and in five minutes, you can share the gospel. That is a cool gift to have. I don't have that gift. Okay? I just, I'm just telling you. And so I have to, I have to kind of work on it. This is my gift up here, teaching, preaching. That's my gift. But on a one-on-one level, I'm one of those people like, I feel like I need to get to know you a little bit. you know. Um, but So you're here today, and you're like, okay, I need courage. I think, I think we all, all need a certain kind of courage. But maybe this will help a little bit. The Apostle Paul was also the one said that he goes, I'm not afraid to preach the gospel. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, because it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. When he said that, basically what he's saying, it's the thing that liberated me. It's the thing that gave me freedom in my life and gave me grace and gave me salvation. Why would I ever not want to, or be ashamed of sharing that with somebody else? And yet sometimes we kind of find ourselves there, don't we? We're like, oh, I, want to, I don't want to mess up this relationship. If I say this, it's going to mess, you know, they're going to take it all the wrong way. And there's a possibility of that, I'll be honest with you. But what if they're open to it? Or what if it's the first conversation that leads into a lot of other conversations? And if, what if just because you were courageous, one day, one day they experience God, they connect to God. And it's because of what a little bit of courage you worked up, maybe a whole lot of courage that you worked up. So I want to leave you with this. This is a, an acronym. It's very powerful. It's BLESS. This is how you're going to bless people. Uh, I've used this. I've actually got this written in the back of, uh, of uh, one of my, my prayer cards, and I use it all the time. So at a very practical level, if you, let's just say, how many of you know somebody that doesn't know God, and you'd love to see him come to God. Anybody know anybody like that? Maybe next-door neighbor, somebody you work with, somebody you surf with, somebody whatever. Okay, so it always begins with prayer. 
It always. So before, like if, if, if I see somebody, my neighbor, whoever, and I'm thinking, I'd really like to share my God story with them. I'd, I'd like them to know God. I just immediately start praying for that person. You know what happens? My prayers begin to, God, see, God begins to do something in them. But he also begins to prepare me too. Because there's going to be that moment. And then this is one of the greatest things you can do. Listen to that person. Like if you really want to share with them, earn the right to be heard by listening. And people are dying to tell you what's going on in their life, especially hurting people. And almost everybody is a little bit. So you just like, oh, just, just lean in. Just listen to them. Next thing is, is uh, and, you know, eating with people, hanging out with people, having coffee with people. There's something very powerful about that. We talked about that quite a bit in the past here. So just, you know, take them out, take them to In-N-Out Burger, Taco Place, whatever, and just hang out with them a little bit. Uh, and then serve them. Man, when you serve somebody, you talk about opening a heart up, no greater way than to serve somebody. I, I think often of how many uh, young couples are sitting around with kids and they haven't had a date night for about three months. Like, what if, what if you did this? What if you and somebody else, your wife, or just even yourself said, hey, you know what? Why don't you guys go out Friday night? I got the kids covered. They'd probably faint because nobody's made that kind of offer to them. But just all the different ways that we can serve people. What if you showed up with a, a bunch of food one day and said, yeah, we, just, we have some extra. I just want to bless you guys. Just, just opens their, their heart up. Finally, you get to share your God story. Now, the, the God story might come when you're eating. It could even come up when you're listening. But at some point in time, you get to share your God story. Now, this is where the courage comes in, right? This is where the, in that moment you go, oh, man, everything's starting to line up. And I think we're there. But you've you got to say it. I mean, Paul says, how can they hear unless we speak? And so at some point in time, yeah, okay, let's, let's do this thing. Let's start talking. One of, the, one of the number one reasons that I hear people tell me that they don't share their faith is this. They say, I don't know my Bible. And if I don't know my Bible, I don't feel confident, and I know that they're going to throw some big question at me, and I don't know how to answer that question because I don't know my Bible that well. So let me, let me help you with that. You may not know the Bible but you have a story to tell. And if you have begun your journey with Jesus, and maybe you're not very far along in knowing the Bible, you still got your story. And if you tell your story, it is a powerful story. It is your story. It's unique to you. Nobody else's story. It's yours. And they're not going to go, I'm sorry, I don't believe your story. You'll punch them if they do that. Right? It's your story. It's your truth. You lived it. You're living it. So in that moment, you get to tell, now you've earned the right to be heard, you've listened, you've blessed them, maybe you've even served them at this point, and you're going to tell your story. This is what God has done to my life. I don't know the Bible all that well, but I, I can tell you this, this is what I do know. That's so powerful. So next time that you're up against that and you're thinking, that little thing in your mind goes, you don't know the Bible that well, don't worry about it. Just tell them your story. And then invite them here, and we'll teach them. Okay? We, we can do that. Would you pick up this card? It's on your seat right there. You'll notice it says, who will you commit to pray for and invite to find Jesus this Christmas? Obviously, we're in the holiday season. And the upside of the holiday season is there's a lot of joy and happiness and, and good stuff. Uh, the downside is there are a lot of people who get really depressed and there are kind of a lot of problems in their life and things like that. And it just seems that this time of the year, people are particularly open sometimes to spiritual things. And so I want to challenge you this morning to write a name or some names on here of somebody that you'll invite to church 
or somebody that you'll at least start praying for and maybe begin the process of saying, I want that person to know God. I, it's changed my life, and I know it could change their life as well. So I think there's about three or four different lines that you can put a name on there, maybe five. So just be, be thinking about that. So I'm going to close in prayer right now, and I'm going I'm to pray, first of all, that God will give you courage, and then I'm going to pray that God will um, show you the people that you should pray for and invite, okay? So let's pray. Father, there was a day in my life when somebody had been praying for me, when somebody had the courage to speak up in my life. And because of that, I received the good news. I received the gospel. And Lord, we could be, that, we could be those people today because all of us have people in our lives, whether it's our next-door neighbor or somebody that we just hang out with, somebody down at the, in the local restaurant that we go to, uh, the barista at the coffee shop, just all people all around us, and, and we have these, these, these kind of relationships of people that don't know you. And Lord, that's, that's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking. And we know how it's changed our life. And God, I pray that you'd give, first of all, give us the courage. Give us the courage, God, to, to, to be able to go to these individuals. And then secondly, show us who those people are. God, whether, even if it's a relative, it's a family member. Maybe somebody that we haven't seen for a while. And, and Lord, I pray that right now the people are just seeing that person in their, in their mind's eye right now. They're seeing those people. Give them the courage to write the name down and begin the process of praying, starting by praying, and then taking it to the next step. As you give us courage, we'll take that next step. And Lord, we pray that this holiday season, some people are going to come into an experience with you. And it's going to change everything. It's going to change everything. It's going to change their marriage for good, their family for good, and future family for good. It all begins with this, Lord. Give us the courage to speak, to ask, to listen, to serve, to tell our story. We pray this in your name. Amen.